Hey, Amanda. Hey, Kristen. Welcome to the From Your Vault episode of What's Your Thing? It was a good one. Yeah, this is one of my favorite early episodes of ours. I think it's like the first essential episode. Yeah, I I did feel something different when we recorded that episode the first time. I felt like a notch. Right, the level up? A little bit. Yeah, a a little level up. And it started... It started us being getting used to that, I think, that yeah. then ended up making its way into a lot of our other shows. So, yeah, good one. What's your thing? So what do you feel has changed? So, so funny because I listened back to it and, you know, me a year ago, that was probably the most blaring question. I mean, me two years ago and three years ago and five years ago and six years ago, like, what's your thing Amanda Zampelli, like you, you have all this potential for a lot of things to be your thing, but what is it going to be, right? So I feel like that was the main question at the start of every year for the past few years. But last year, and listening back to the episode, you know, I feel like I, I said a lot, like making my craft my living was a big priority in my head. Um, you know, a, a lot of what I was kind of bringing home, sorry, text, um, was the idea that, you know, I guess it's like a purpose question too. Like, what is your purpose? What is your thing? Right. And I feel like that's a really heavy question to try and answer. And so now a year later, to answer your question, what has changed? The big thing that's changed is I start, you know, and then this is footnotes. I started reading that simple abundance book that I found in my laundry room that I mentioned on the past episode that I found. Um, and, you know, it's rec- recording this on January 6th. So I'm six days in. You read a little something every day. And it's amazing already what I, the information that I've, you know, worked into my body. And, like, one of the things they say is to live your questions. Like that's like a famous line from like a famous German poet or something. Like live your question. So like when you have a question like what is your thing, it's not necessarily your job to answer it. It's your job to have that question inside you and live your life with that question. So I, I kind of feel like that's where I'm at a year later is that that kind of question pops into my, you know, is blaring in your head or whatever as crafty ass females and then it's not necessarily your job to get to the bottom of it it's your job to live the question very abstract i'm very philosophical in 2019 <laughs> that's an amazing that's like just hold on hands down that's an amazing answer that's just an incredible yeah. answer um that's fantastic live your question that's yeah that's that's great and i it, the best the best like the reason that those three words are the best is because they're kind you don't really understand what that means. You kind of have to understand that in a question. <laughs> it's like, what does it mean to live your question? Well, I don't know. Live that question. Right. Yeah. You oh. need to like go oh, searching for that. Yeah. Right. So. And it gives you permission to screw up. Yeah. Because yeah. you're going to screw up. Because you're going like, to get you, lost. You're going to yeah. make a wrong turn and you're yeah. going to have to find your way back. And you said in this episode, questioning questions is your favorite thing to question. That was one of my favorite. So that was one That's of my favorite. That was one of my favorite lines I highlighted in the post. And I was like, 
girl. I was like, <laughs> but that is exactly what we're talking about. Like, I feel like this was a big, like, what does it mean to have this question living inside of you kind of episode. And a year later, I think that should be the focus, not necessarily how we try to get to the bottom of that question in the episode. So, ooh, like meta. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to therapy on Friday and this is the first time I cried at therapy. I almost cried. I don't think actual tears came out of my eyes, but okay. the whole welling thing happened and she sure. handed me the box of tissues and like, that's so not me. I go to therapy because I'm like super analytical about it. And even though I am this person who cries all the time and I'm super emotional, that's not what I do at therapy. Mm. I'm very like, hey, this is this thing that's going on. Let's talk coping skills. Mm-hmm. But I got to this place and I was like, why can't I have just a normal life? Just give me the normal life, please. Why can't I have like the nine to five? Why can't I be the person who just was the B student in school? Why couldn't I just be that average person in the middle of the chart who just has an average life, who, you know, was content with staying in her hometown and marrying another person in her hometown like everybody that went to my high school did on Facebook and she was like yeah but that's not you man you know that that's not you and that's when I just started like my my face Mm. just did the thing and I felt you know the little shiver and that's not my thing Mm-hmm. And it's never been my thing. And in yeah. this episode, I talked about storytelling and scrapbooking and documenting your life. And that has always been my thing. And when I talked to her about leaving, leaving home, I didn't realize until now, like the past few years maybe the past few months, that leaving home was essential to me. Leaving home was my thing. Because traveling has been a thing for me. And anytime I've gone away and explored a new place, I've come back a different person. And I think when you, when you change as a person, and like we talked about leveling up the podcast in this episode, something in your core changes like Mm -hmm. sometimes you go to a class and you change um for me it was when i took my first political science class yeah it's when you go and something inside you connects so deeply that you're like i need more of this in my life and i don't know how i could ever live without this again yeah and For me, leaving home is another thing that has become essential for me. And that's, that's terrifying. It's, it's, it's so scary. And to, like, to say that out loud is terrifying. Yeah. Well, what is your anxiety around that? That it's, it's not normal? It's, it's not what... It's like, definitely not normal. It it's, ties into what you cried about at, at therapy. And, and it, it, 
I like it. I also like being alone. Like yeah. I love living a life of, I don't want to say isolation because that's right. not true. Cause I introversion. Talked, exactly. And that's, yeah. and that's what my therapist says. It's not isolation. It's introversion. It's, right. it's spending time away from people so that you have the energy to spend time with people. Right. And I say a lot in the episode that you're going to hear, this one from the vault, I talk a lot about your thing being the, I say the word harnessed a lot, right? The thing that you can harness and capitalize on, right? I kind of cringed when I heard back myself say that, but what can you harness? What can you capitalize on? What can you direct this flow of energy into your sweet spot? That's, that's, that's the exact quote I use in the episode. And what I think kind of what you're saying is, a year later, I have a new definition of sweet spot. And I think that's kind of maybe what you're talking about. Like that shift that happens is your sweet spot becomes evolved. So for me now, like my sweet spot isn't the thing that's going to make me money. And that's my, it, this, my sweet spot now is being at a place where I can f- take care of myself and function. Like that is my new definition of sweet spot. And maybe for you, like needing to be away from family is your sweet spot environment. It is. And, and yeah. I think we can only find these sweet spots when we question our questions. Mm-hmm. And, and because we open ourselves up to new opportunities. And then for me, I love solving problems. I love helping people. And I love doing things for people that I love. And so when I'm surrounded by people that I love, I'm constantly doing things for them. And I don't leave myself enough room to do self-care. I don't leave myself enough room to do work. I don't leave myself enough room to recharge in a way, especially with my health conditions, to where I can even come back to like 50% energy. And I had no idea that was even happening. Like that, I didn't even open that pathway for myself until... I left. Right. And wow. Like, hello. Yeah. I didn't even know that that was my thing until that door opened. Right. And the panic happens because you're seeing the conditions of everyone else's life and how yours is kind of veering from that that you're seeing. And it's just completely different from anything that I had considered to be in my range of quote-unquote normal or quote-unquote what I had ever considered to be what I would be doing, you know, when I was younger, when I was a teenager, even in my early 20s in college, I always just considered, okay, this is what my life would probably look like Mm -hmm. instead of the fantasy life that, oh, yes, I maybe I'll just live out in the middle of nowhere of course, you know, Michigan isn't the middle of nowhere. And I live in a city, town, you know, university But town. compared to like Metro. Right. New York, New the suburbs of New York City. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where I could be in literal Times Square in 25 minutes if I wanted to. Sure, right. But I feel the best that I've ever felt. Yeah. And I'm doing the best that I've ever done. Right. And if that's not your thing, then what is? Right. Right. And I say in the episode a lot too, like that panic, right? That we say, oh God, where's my life going and what's my thing? And then I kind of put out in the episode 
the exact conditions of your life are setting you up for the exact evolution of what your thing is supposed to be. But now a year later, listening to that back, and I think kind of tied into what you're saying, I think that sentence is not finished yet. I think the end of that sentence should be. So your life is setting you up for the exact evolution of what your thing is supposed to be if you're awake and paying attention, if you're living according to your values. Like we never even say the word values in the episode, but that's exactly throughout this year, what was missing from that episode is us using the word values in it. (laughs) So I think that what I said is true, but there's more to the sentence. You have to be awake and paying attention. And then, you know, even though you'll feel like, gosh, why can't I just be home and local? Oh gosh, why can't I just have that nine to five? Oh, dot, 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 because you're awake and you're paying attention. Oh, dot, 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 because you realize what your values are. (laughs) Like That's the end of that thought it that's couldn't be closer to the truth it's right it's just if you're not living your values you will never see those doors opening right and then I think what you said too and what I got also from that simple abundance book um the past few days is she's kind of she like really is wrong uh she's really brought home the point of turning away from the world and beginning to listen, which is the same thing as paying attention. But like, I think that's what got me in trouble, you know, with teaching where I felt the first time around where it's like, oh, I'm going to teach and I'm going to have this nine to five. And I was like, you're saying like, you're seeing people fall into that life and seeing it work for them. So you try to, you know, like fit that bill. And then oh no, it doesn't have, like, I'd never turned away from the world back then. So then when I turned away from the world and listened inside, it told me to leave teaching. It told me to go into graphic design. Then when I did that, I think the, as the years went on of that, I started looking outwardly about that and saying, well, what is everyone doing in this industry and in this craft life? And, oh, that's what they're doing. That's what I should be doing. And then I started applying the world to me again. And when I, again, turn away from the world and begin to listen, I was like, wait, like, what is my thing? My thing is, my thing can't happen if I'm not taking care of myself. So then there was a values check. And I said, so I need to be able to take care of myself. That is a value. I need to be able to breathe and not panic every day about, how I'm going to function and make it to the next day because all this anxiety and like beautiful, beautiful structure that came from teaching this year. Like I've realized I need 150%, like the structure that teachings brought to my life. So once I started again, turn away from the world, turn away from all these influencers and all the money they're making, just blogging, because again, that's where I would get my brain to and say, well, that's my thing. And that's what I want my thing to be. And And then when I shut it up, shut up and turned away from the world and began to listen again, like you're saying, like my sweet spot shifted. What I realized as 34-year-old Amanda and not 30-year-old Amanda is I it shifted again it shifted again back into the thing that it shifted out of in the past like it's just amazing when you really just shut the world up and listen to the questions like we're saying to what your values are telling you and then if you live the question you go okay well how then can I this that's why teachings worked better I think for me because it's it's a new sweet spot I'm understanding and I'm sh- and maybe teaching can be my thing because I'm I'm Rubik's cubing it to fit me better. But just because teaching is your job doesn't mean that it has to be 
your thing. You're right, but I'm I, I'm wor- it's working better into my body this time around. And Absolutely, I'm trying- and because yeah. it gives you the the routine you need, and it because it gives you the structure that you need, because it gives you the money that pays your bills, it gives you the time you need with adorable children, and lets you be creative that way. It teaching like just because Amanda is a teacher doesn't mean that teacher needs to define you as a person. Right. And I'm understanding that now. And also something I've been super self-aware of with myself is I'm calling it, I don't know if this phrase exists, but I'm coining it, I'm a peripheral creative. So when creativity is, when any part of my creativity is the spotlight of my existence, I panic, I get anxiety, I get stunted. I, if my spotlight is on something bigger and more important and it's structured, my creativity blossoms off to the side. That's what I realize about myself and that's what's been happening because of the teaching. And so in that way, my sweet spot for the creativity is not what I thought either. Anyway. Well, that makes perfect sense. You need limitations. Yeah. Yeah. But like for some people, I think the people that like illustrate for a living or like you know to me that's like the dream job to just be able to wake up put pen or paint to paper create these beautiful things that then get used in a magazine or used in a book or whatever to me I'm that's like an artist's job and the dream but that would mean that their lifestyle is is spotlight and centered around their creative work and I feel like for myself that get that's always gotten me into trouble no matter how hard I tried or how hard I try to practice or work or structure it myself and I know that I'm good I'm a self-motivated person but I think when I take that spotlight and put it on something structured that I can do that's timed like teaching is it leaves all this wonderful space peripherally off the side of my vision that I can that is there in a good in a sweet spot for me that's okay. such an amazing thing to learn about yourself. Yeah. So I'm kind of comfortable with that idea. And I could see how I can harness that. But that's so different than when I, how I was thinking a year ago. And so these weird. are the things that you can only learn by answering the questions. Right. And like asking more questions once right. you've like walked the walk. Right. And I feel like the podcast, if you've been a listener since the beginning, has been a great example of us living the questions because we don't have the answers but then when we'd have a guest like I would work in what I need to hear from them and then I would gain insight from them and then work it into my life based on what they told me so it's like I think that's how I got to the conclusion a year later about me being a peripheral creative from everything we cracked open from this episode last year and then asking intermittent questions throughout the year during our interviews and to each other and whatever I think that's awesome. Yeah. I think conversation is the route to finding out what your thing is and living your questions and turning in and listening. Absolutely. And and values, because we never even said that word in the whole episode. It was so cuckoo to me. Yeah, guys, values. Figure out your values. Yeah. That's that's the route to everything. Figure out what is important to you and then move forward. Should we let them listen to the actual episode now? Yeah, I'm loving these mini episode intros i'm not gonna lie mini episodes and then you get a full episode (laughs) yeah without further ado here is what's your thing 
Welcome to the Crafty Ass Female Podcast, an audio show that talks about the resourceful ways we women are living our lives and the crafty projects we create in between. We are your hosts, Amanda Zampelli and Kristen Tweedell, and we believe you are a capable badass who already has all the tools you need to make beautiful things and make beautiful things happen. We're just here to remind you. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Kristen. How are you? I'm amazed that we're already on episode eight. That's so crazy. Because I remember you reaching out to me and me saying, let's, what do you think of a podcast? And us deciding to do it. And now we're on episode eight. Yeah. So So today we're going to talk about having a thing. Having a thing. Having, what's your niche? What's your thing? (laughs) So... Yeah. So what I mean, does it even mean to have a thing? Yeah. Well, this has just been something on my mind, and the first thing that I thought up when we kind of pitched this idea to each other: what is a thing? What's my thing? How do I find a thing? And the first thing that came to my mind is the Sims game. Have you ever heard oh, of yeah. it? Slash. Okay. So now, when I reference this, I used to play this like years ago, like maybe 20 years ago, if it was even around then, or like when I was 15, 16, a little less than 20 years ago. So I'm talking about the first Sims computer game that came out that mm-hmm. had a disc that you had to put in. Because now when I, I, I reference it, because I remember when you used to make the simulated person and you were playing God and you were assigning these Sims, like character traits, I guess they were, or there was a list of like, things or values and I think some of them are like money family social life cooking whatever and you had like a certain number of tokens you could assign to this person right stay with me here people so okay so I remember like when you used to assign like sometimes someone would be really high on the social bar so to them to that sim talking with friends and having friends over was like important and you had to make sure that sim got that (laughs) kind of like in its life, (laughs) on its computer-generated life. So what I think of when I think about this is like to some people, you know, they love the linear plan. To them, that's their number one. Go to school, go to college, find a job, get a mate, get married, get a house, have kids. Like to them, that following that plan and that line is very important. And I just always picture like their little sim bubble as having that as the most tokens in that kind of area of their life. But to me, finding what my thing was and the thing that made me special was always high on my list of importances. That's where I'm going with that reference is I always picture like finding what I can give to the world has always been the highest on my sim token chart. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's one of the things that really drew us together. Yeah. You know, our sense of individuality and using our individuality to bring people together and creative people together. And I'm really excited to get into how finding our things has brought us here. Right. And I feel like as much as I value that linear path and I wish that it could be for me because it is so plotted out, I feel like people who veer off that path are because they're trying to find this thing or it takes them in a path that isn't as traditional. Totally. Yeah. So, you know, when I think of what, what does it mean to have a thing or like what 
is your thing, you were referring to the main thing that you bring to the table, right? Like something that you need to harness, just like a wild Mustang, like running in the fields in order for it to be valuable to others and fulfilling to yourself. So how do you harness what's special about you in order so you feel fulfilled and it brings value to others? So for me, that's how I'm defining what a thing is. How about you? Oh, it's so difficult to ask me to define things. <laughs> yeah. That's that's one of the things that makes me me. I that's oh god. Okay. This is, you know, one of those things unlock door, you know, 37 in the the book of Chris then. <laughs> I question everything. I love questioning things. And questioning questions is one of my favorite things to question. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, inception kind of a thought. Figure out, right, what does it mean to have a thing? And so, like, what does it mean for me to have a thing? And so, like, for me to have a thing means something. But then, like, for other people, it means something totally different. Mm -hmm. It's It's a very subjective topic and question. Right. Last episode, we talked about you being a planner girl. And that's what your thing is to other people right because that's you know publicly what thousands of people see you publicly as and like thousands of people see me publicly as are you chris and feminist scrapbooker Mm -hmm. whereas like privately in our homes and in our lives where we don't you know casually engage with thousands of people on a regular basis (laughs) oh no um, (laughs) right exactly um (laughs) No, like, I barely leave my house, so, like, no, I don't. <laughs> I casually engage with Jeff and the people who come over to eat the food that I make. Right. Um, we have very different other things. That's and, so like, true. those things bring, I think, so much more... Um, I'm looking for a specific word that I just... Context. They bring so mm-hmm. much more context and, like, deeper meaning to what our things are. And now when you refer to that last one, what our things are, you're talking about what translates into a living and what translates into money. Not necessarily. Oh. What translates into like what your core being is. Mm. And so like, you know, we've gotten to this place like, and for you, like being a planner person isn't a good example because that's, you know, that's why, and let's we can let's go back to a couple of different episodes ago. That's why you didn't like your best nine because the things that resonate with the public didn't necessarily resonate with you personally. Mm. And I think that was why I was pretty okay with my best nine because mm-hmm. like the things that resonated with my public were the things that resonated with me. Okay, I'm not sure if I'm making sense. No, you are. Um, No, I get it. But I think it has something to do with what I referenced in, I think it was my story episode, that job, hobby, vocation, career kind of distinguishing where what your job is and what you, your career is, if you have one and what your vocation or your life purpose is can all be considered your thing. Like each one of those can be a thing for you or like what your hobby is could be your thing. Yeah. So I absolutely, yeah, I think that's kind of what you're talking about is, is people associate. Yeah. My hobby, which is planning as my thing, but I'm more of like, 
But then, yeah, but then your things could be what you enjoy just in your home, not necessarily what you post. So that's true. One of your things is that you are like this passionately creative person and this planner is just how it manifests. And that's just one way that so many thousands of people have been able to see it and find you. I have a couple of examples that I want to talk about, but like Martha Stewart. She's been a creative person and she can do so many incredible things, but everyone gets their start. We know all of these polymaths who are people who are brilliant at all of these different things. They don't start out being brilliant at all of these different things. Mm-hmm. Or they don't get known for being brilliant at all of these different things. Everyone, you know, who's pu- well publicly known for being great at a bunch of different things is almost always like you know, quote-unquote found out or quote-unquote becomes well-known for being good at one thing first. That's interesting. Have you ever heard of the term multi-potentialite? No. I'll link to that too because there's a whole, it's the website for it is actually called Putty-like because the person, I forget her name that started it, but the person who who talks about it talks about being this moldable-like putty-like person who not one thing defines them. So she calls it the term, I don't know if she made up the term or not, but it's called like multi-potentialite. So, and then she categorizes that in a few things where she says some people spend a span of a year or two on one thing, but then they have to switch it up to another thing. And that's called a certain type of multi-potentialite. But then there's a person that has one or two or three things all week going on that they have to dab into, you know, throughout the week. So, that's kind of to play off what you said is they started with one thing, but a multi-potentialite could maybe start with one thing and then have to switch it up or whatever. So I'll link to that. I don't want to get in too much into it because I don't, I'm not wording it as well as she does. So I'll link to it right. so you can kind of explore that. But yeah, totally. I think, I think that plays into finding your thing, like you're saying too, or like someone like Martha Stewart who started in one. Yeah. And I think the thing, people who are good at all of these things just aren't necessarily going to wind up being like, I don't want to say famous, like internet famous mm-hmm. for all of these things. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you, it, it, and I think this is going to go back to my thing of like, what does it mean to have a thing for you? And then what does it mean to have a thing to other people? Mm-hmm. Like it's, especially when you're doing it on the internet, it's hard to develop a multi- faceted personality on the internet to other people that's true because consistency and that whole branding part of like let them know what they can expect Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like and that's what's so difficult about you know being a brand online and being a person online because like a brand is a consistent thing a brand Mm -hmm. is and it's so hard to live as a brand. You can't do those things. And that's why it takes a team to make most brands brands. <laughs> right. And and to, you can't live authentically and be a brand on the internet. It Those are two very separate things. And so I think I'm going to come, come back to this throughout the entire episode. Like it, it is two completely different things to have a thing for yourself and to personally, you know, what is your thing personally? And like, for me personally, my thing is stories. It's all about stories. Mm-hmm. Everything comes back to stories and narrative. 
like literally everything in my life comes back to stories and narratives, whether it's cooking, whether it's gardening, whether it's like, I mean, you all know about scrapbooking and all of the stuff that we talk about here. Um, those are all stories. Uh, television for me is about stories. Food for me is about stories. Um, one of the reasons that I got into crowing tomatoes, um, I think this is a, a very interesting, like, okay, so I love pizza from back home. Pizza is the thing that I missed most aside from the actual humans that I moved away from. Um, I spent a lot of time in pizzerias as a teen, as one does if you are from from the area. Uh, that's where I would. That's what I would walk home. Where pizzas are magical. <laughs> right there are. I mean, like, I'm I like have vivid memories of you know the, the guys at the pizza parlor who would toss the pies up in the air. Mm-hmm. That's where I would go and do my homework. I mean, I'd get out of school at what three o'clock. There's the student special. You know. Two slices on a soda for two fifty. I sound so old. Oh my god. <laughs> um, and wise. that's where I would do Let's my say homework. You sound wise. <laughs> um, and so that's where I would get my homework done because, like, if I went home where like the video games were, where like the music was, where the computer was, I wouldn't do my homework. Mm-hmm. And then it would be like eight o'clock at night, and I would just not get anything done. But if I walked to the pizzeria that had the most amazing pizza and sat down and did my homework with two slices of pizza and a soda for $2.50. It would get then done. My, right, then my pizza would get, then my homework would get done and everything. <laughs> that's how I had my life planned out in high school. Um, and then I moved to Michigan and we can't eat pizza here. So um, I miss pizza very, very, very much. It is very near and dear to me, as I just told a pizza related story. <laughs> and so one of the ways that I got involved in gardening here was that I went to a local event called Tomato Fest run by this awesome lady named Karen. And she runs this cool website called Michigan Heirlooms. And she collects tomato seeds and pepper seeds from all over the world and has on her website, and we'll link to in the show notes, she has stories from each of these different tomato seeds wow. and where they've come from. And all of the people who have, like, taken these seeds from, like, the old country, from their grandmother, from Hungary, from Russia, from Italy, and, like, seeds of, like, tomatoes they've grown from, like, generation and passed down. And, like, every tomato has a story. And so, like, now I'm growing them in my backyard and I go out there and I'm like, oh, my God, I totally understand Mm -hmm. why these tomatoes look like this. Mm -hmm. And, like, I was growing them and I'm like, oh, my God, I totally understand, like... This is a tomato that you would totally grow in Cold War Russia. <laughs> and I'm like, this It's becoming this is your why thing. I love. Yeah. This is my thing. Mm-hmm. Stories are my thing. And like, even if it's about gardening, even if it's about tomatoes, even if it's about television, I love television for the stories. And so like, that's my thing. And like to other people, because I only share the scrapbooking version of stories they see that little slice of my life and so to them it's stories through this specific lens Mm -hmm. and that's cool and that's how I'm portraying myself you know on Instagram and on you know my blog and publicly and with social media we all are portraying ourselves 
publicly in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And as a, as a feminist and as a feminist theorist, uh, there's a lot to, you know, unwrap in performative gender and like how we choose to perform our lives each day, whether we're in front of social media or in front of other people, like we get to wake up and decide like how we're going to act each day. Mm -hmm. And if you, you know, if you know what your thing is and if you have a, it all comes back down to self-awareness. Right. Like we talked about, you know, last episode, if you know who you are and you know what you like and you have confidence in what you believe to be the right and correct and authentic version of yourself, then you're going to be doing the right thing anyway. And no I matter feel how that you're portraying yourself. And a lot yourself. of my research, for sure, and a lot of research that I did for this episode, what I found is people saying, like, your thing. So the main thing you bring to the table, you know, and for me, like, everything you're saying about there's a thing that you – um, publicly put out there that people associate you with for sure. There's a, probably a bunch more things that you do that are uniquely you that aren't as publicized and associated with you. But at the same time, when I reference a thing or what, what I think when my mind, I was thinking about this topic is what's my thing that's going to be harnessed. Right. And I almost even think about like wanting to, Because to me, again, when I opened up with The Sims, like, it's important for me not just to find out what my thing is, but to make a living from my thing. I think that's when I tap into, like, for me, a thing that that's important. For some people, it's not. For some people, you know, I'm not going to go into it, it's not. But when when I reference it in this episode, like, how do you find what your thing is and capitalize on it? And, um, I I think the phrase is like how to direct this flow of energy into its sweet spot. Right. So like a lot of people talk about it as their secret sauce. Like when Elise, like we talked about last episode, would get to workbook initially, you know, announced that she goes, yes, this is, this is my thing. This is what I'm landing on. It makes sense for all the content I put out for what people associate me with. And that's her thing. And God bless her. She's been crazy, wildly successful at it. I think of my former boss, Stephanie Fleming and how she was years and years in the scrapbooking business, making paper, making this, and, you know, just time aligned and, and the execution of the happy planner was literally the perfect sweet spot of time and the perfect amount of skills her company had to execute that out. That's been her thing and the company's thing. And it's been exponential in her, you know, growth as a person and growth as a company. So that's, I think where a lot of people are trying to search for, like now with social media being it, how it is and, and all the, what's, what do you call it? All the opportunities. Like we've talked about this, like there has never been a time in history where there's more opportunity to grow from your thing, your niche, like you're saying, thing that people associate with you than now. But at the same time, everybody's almost trying to do that, that it's harder to get it going. Yes. Yeah. So that, that's totally true. Yeah. So that dichotomy of there's so many opportunities to have this happen, but everybody's trying to jump on these opportunities to have it happen. That how do you find your place to kind of, I call it double Dutch. Like how do you double Dutch into the ropes without getting smacked in the head? (laughs) So, yeah. So that's kind of how I feel about it. So 
when you just said like um, you wake up every day and have a choice kind of what you put out there to find what if you wake up and like kind of don't know what to put out there, what is your thing? Through all my research for this episode, I found out that like your thing has always been there. It's usually the things you're naturally gravitated toward or what the people point the people around you point out like you need to tone down a little bit <laughs> like it's probably what's naturally oozing out for you or your natural curiosity um it's just to find your thing you have to learn how to direct all that energy into a sweet spot so that's something to think about too it's like I always said when, whenever I, I wished I flashed back and kind of what to study or what to go into in order to harness my thing or find my thing, like Barnes and Noble to me is just like the Mecca of kind of where to do that. If you're in Barnes and Noble and spend no less than two hours there, like what are you gravitating toward reading or like exploring or that's kind of the first telling if you really have no clue, if you really can't pinpoint it. Um, do you feel, this is like something I thought too in this topic, do you feel that you've had a life conducive to helping you figure out your thing? I've been thinking about that a lot because I feel in a lot of ways, yes, for me and a lot of ways, no, but you know, I think that that's a key in this too. Like I spoke to my friend Jamina, um, a few weeks ago, she has a daughter who I think is about 10 and we were talking about Christmas gifts and she's like, you know, my daughter just wants these head bows that this 13 year old girl is YouTubing about. She makes them in her house. Her parents have set up her whole entire, you know, studio space to just video this 13 year old talking about her bows and she sells them online. And like, that is this 13 year old's thing, but she's in a world that's conducive to making sure she profits from it. Her parents are all set up. Her parents help her do it. You know, she's making millions. Like Jamina said, that's all what the girls in her daughter's class are wearing and want. It's the trend, right? So she's tapped into this part of herself that's catching on and is her thing and is this trend, but she's 13 years old. Like that doesn't come without being in an environment that's conducive, you know? Correct. Yeah. So that is very much an environment based success. Right. Right. Um, I would say no, I don't think that I have, well, when we say that my thing is stories and feminist mm-hmm. scrapbooking, I would say absolutely not. Considering that I am going to go out on a limb and say I invented feminist scrapbooking. I would say that too. Did not exist, <laughs> did, did, and that it did not exist before I invented it. That no, I did not really have uh, help getting here. Right. And, you know, I did have help, but I kind of had the help of... Let's teach Kristen how to swim by pushing her in the deep end of the pool. <laughs> yeah, it's a pioneering um, type of finding of your thing. But uh, also, let me let me disclaimer and say that that's not how I learned to swim. <laughs> I had two incredibly wonderful cousins who swam side by side with me on the deep end of the pool. Um, and they're both wonderful. And I talked to them this weekend and I love them both very much. <laughs> um, shout out to them. Her. <laughs> crafty ass female listeners uh but no uh and i think that's actually kind of one of the points that i wanted to hit on like one people telling you not to do things that's a way to know that you're doing things right 
That's like, a good point. I know. And or, like, or if people don't understand it necessarily, because yes. what it is, is you're enacting your perfectly weird niched kind of thing. It wouldn't be for anyone else. It's going to be for the audience that it's meant for. Right. If it's your thing, then it can't also be someone else's thing. Remember, like that, that's, it's one of those weird things that like, if you are trying to find your thing, it also can't be like 1500 people's thing. I have this, um, like, especially as a creative, especially as an artist, I have this quote on my whiteboard because it's something that I need reminding constantly. Like, it's necessary for you to make art that other people don't understand. If everyone understands your art, then it's probably not art. Like, because like something, something like that quote, um, if you make something nobody hates, nobody will love it. Exactly. Yeah. Don't make milk toast toast. Like, <laughs> just no. But don't it's be true, the but... white bread of creative people. Like, be you. You are so cool. Like, even when you don't think you're cool, that's probably when you're the coolest person. It's the true. Like, don't do. Yeah. yeah, the things that you do that are like nerdy and dumb and like the things that you think make you uncool, those are the things that make you the coolest person. And like, but it's because might... there's an audience unbeknownst to you that it's also cool to. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's kind of the trap that people get stuck in. They feel like, um, you know, this is clicking for me, but it's not clicking for anyone around me. And I don't necessarily think that your thing is isolating you to a point where it's no one else's thing. I just think you have to find the right audience for which that thing is going to be received well. And then even if I, I talk about too, like if, in, if you're in search of your thing, if you're in search of what clicks for you and you feel like, God, nothing's clicking. I don't know what my thing is. I always say like, just like I said in my story episode, you have to look around first. And I mean, the internet is great for that, but occasionally you'll stumble upon someone or something or some activity that just like I said in my story hits you in a way that goes, wow, that looks interesting. I could probably do that. And I think I would enjoy that. Like that's the reaction it has to have in your body. And then it doesn't necessarily, maybe it does at first become like a carbon copy of that thing. Because just like Kristen said, like it's going to come out uniquely you, whatever you decide is the thing you want to pursue. So like in my story, I mentioned, I, I saw a snippet of Amy Tangerine's kind of journey and her making and designing all this scrapbook product and working these trade shows. And I knew it clicked that that would be my thing, that that kind of work would work for me. But in, when it started materializing, it was my version of that. And that's what I think the trap that people get stuck in. They think if it doesn't look just like this example that I saw, it's not my thing. But in order for it to be your thing, it has to filter through you and become your version of it. Right, absolutely. Yeah, and then, it, and then once you feel it start to feel like your dance and not like the carbon copy of someone else's footwork, then you have more room to play. Cause you could say, Oh, I know this so well, this is becoming my thing. That's kind of what happened with planning with me and memory planning. It's like, 
I would consider that very much my thing because I've been able to capitalize on it because memory planning has been a craft that I've practiced at and honed kind of thing. I was able to make this class to try and kind of explain other people because stories are your thing. You're able to write this book. You're able to kind of host workshops. So I think your thing being filtered in the right way and feeling like your version of it so much so that then you can start creating these actual money-making things from it is what everyone's trying to do. Right. And I think what, what one of the problems that occurs is when you don't have enough authenticity and you try to create money-making opportunities without there being enough uh, scale and craft you know, right mm-hmm. and, and enough backbone behind your idea to really flesh it out that you're just kind of putting up what you've seen other people put up right and that's yes, I agree kind of just not cool you're, you're just not gonna have a good time if you don't mm-hmm. create authentic work other people's versions are not going to they're not going to have a great time when they take your course or when they do your project because one of the best parts about you know going and taking a course or going and doing a creative project that is new and authentic and someone has put their voice and their you know whatever their creative heart and soul is their thing whatever it is that their thing is they have invested it into this project and when other people come and do this project that thing is now inside of them and comes out in their project or manifestation that is so right on and to reference tomatoes it's like picking a tomato before it's ripe it's like you need to give it the time to become the tomato it's meant to be (laughs) and i think that's the problem is is people don't give it that ripeness time for the idea. If you have an idea and you know it's good, it's almost, I don't want to say this and, and people have done it, but it, the exception is that this works, but it's never almost a good idea to try to execute it right away. Like let it simmer, let it sit. We came out with the idea for the podcast in the summer and didn't actually, we let it sit with us for a few months before we decided mm-hmm. how we wanted it to kind of come out. Um, Yes, I totally yeah, agree with you. We, uh, we scrapped our first episodes completely. Yeah. We recorded our first story episodes and we're like, mm, we gotta try let's this just again. do this again. Yeah. <laughs> because we love this idea so much. We feel so good about this. And we think that, you know what, after another try, we'll get this done even better. And we're okay. We feel like we're invested in this enough that it doesn't matter. And we're super excited to talk to you guys that we want to talk to you guys correctly. Right. And we even said like, I have this going on in October. I have this going on in November. It won't work for me then. It won't work. Like we needed to find the sweet spot of time that would make sense for both of us to make it become what it kind of has been so far. Right. And what we want for it. Right. You have to make clear kind of what do we want this thing to be? And I think what we were saying when I asked you, you know, do you think you had a life conducive to helping you figure out your thing? 
unlike this 13-year-old bow maker that's making millions of dollars with her parents' help, I feel like a lot of time we fall into that comparison trap where we might see that and go, oh God, I could make something if I wanted and put it on YouTube. So let me hurry up and do it. Or I know I could do this too. Like the feeling that you could probably do that too should be there, but you shouldn't say, well, she's 13 and doing it. So I should get on it right now. Like you have to let it sit. And the truth is, this is the realization when I asked myself that question, did I have a lifestyle conducive to help me figure out my thing? I mean, in a lot of ways I have, and a lot of ways I haven't, but The truth is that the exact conditions of your life are setting you up for the exact evolution of what your thing is supposed to be and your Mm -hmm. secret sauce is supposed to be. And I've been, that's been hitting me more this year where like I could think about teaching as a failure, but the things that I've learned and the ideas that have come from that time as a teacher coupled with what I've learned from being in the happy planner is now going to help me with the next phase of kind of finding out what my thing is and tapping into something that maybe make, will make me money, um, being authentically kind of what I experienced. Absolutely. So that, I think that's what happens and why people sometimes rush because they feel like, oh no, I wasn't supported in this creative way. So I better get on it. And I've seen this work. So let me just jump into that. But in truth, whatever you're doing at the moment is supporting you toward that thing. Yes. You just have to be aware and, and, and recognize it. And then a part of my research too, when it said how to find your thing, you know, this is, I told you, Kristen, before we recorded, but this is the first podcast episode I actually researched because I liked the idea of the topic. I know I've been thinking about it a lot, but then when I try to form the words of what I wanted to say, I needed to research, right? So, so one of the things where they were saying, look for a problem to solve. And that's another one of those things That is very brandy piece of advice where they know that a lot of things like the happy planner, for example, things that have taken off, things that have become the thing for these people or these companies do solve a problem in some way. But I don't necessarily think it's because they were rubbing their chins, like frantically looking around, searching for the problem, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, when I read that, I was like, I kind of disagree. And what I offer kind of as an alternative is to say, and this has kind of been my experience. I don't know if you could talk about yours, but in, so instead, and now I say this too, a little backtrack, a little disclaimer. I say this as someone who, who hopefully wants to create product, right? Product for people to help them memory keep or use or wear or something. I, I, I feel like a big part of my calling at this point in my life is to design and create and innovate new products, I guess. Yeah. So on that note, I would say instead of searching for a problem to solve, I would say once you're in tune with what feels good, like we're saying things we want to try, even you in tomatoes or you in stories, once you engulf yourself in that craft, something that's your thing that clicks with you, once you're in tune with that and you like doing it and you start sharing what you do with it and you get a positive response from it, you keep feeling inspired to do it. And then when you feel inspired to do it, you spend more quiet time getting better and practicing the craft. And from all that wrapped into it, it's almost like you're centered in on this thing and the world around you is moving. Naturally, what will happen is because you're so invested in this craft, you'll notice things you can add to it or how you can make it better or how you can put your spin on it. And then that quiet noticing and quiet studying becomes your thing. 
That's my experience. I think that that's absolutely true. I'm also going to counter you and say yeah. that you're solving tens of little problems. You're continually solving problems and problems and problems. That's true. You may not be starting out with the one big problem, which I think is a bad idea. Mm-hmm. I think like, don't go out and be like, I'm going to, my thing is going to be solve this one problem. Like, sure. If you want to find the vaccine for polio or something, but like <laughs> all of those things we do by accident anyway. So that's also bad advice. <laughs> um, but I think that's the best way to get, better is to like oh okay like you did with your planner strips i want there to be lines so i'm going to solve the problem of there not being lines by creating planner strips well this now this is now better because of my innovation and continuing to innovate and innovate and innovate and everything is better because you are in the zone of like and, you know, and they're not necessarily problems in the negative sense of, like, this is bad. Right. But, like, just improvements. And you want to go from, like, you know, maybe you have this product that's, you know, good. But you want this product to be great and great and greater and greater and greater and greater and greater because it's your thing. Right. And every day you want to get up and be a little bit better than you were the day before. And if this product is a manifestation of you, then this product should be a little bit better every single time you get the chance to get into the zone and take a look at it and see, like, cool, where can I improve? And if, you know, there's nowhere for now, then you put it aside and, you know, life happens and whatever's going on and maybe life is the thing that changes. Right. And you're like, okay, well, what, what do we need in this product now that he didn't need six months ago. Right. And I feel like something like my planner strips happened after months of using the happy planner, right? So it wasn't there in the beginning. I didn't see the happy planner know that it was going to be popular and say, oh gosh, this is popular. Let me jump on something. Okay. What can I make? It wasn't this frantic searching of how to jump on a trend or this frantic like realization that something's doing well and then I need to make sure I'm involved in it, right? Because I feel like that's what you were saying before when people jump yeah. into things, that's kind of the motivation behind it. But it's it's when something is your thing and when you can really make a sustainable living off that thing, it's because you've, let's go to your word, you've cultivated this craft around it that you have the deeper understanding of what it will take, something new to introduce or something new, Um yeah, to kind of add. And I think that's totally true because like, and we can go back to Instagram and Instagram followers because I think it's just one of the easiest ways to like talk about engagement and public awareness and followers and whatnot. But like, if you're the type of person that wants to jump on these trends because people are there and that's a quick way to make money or whatever, those people are going to leave as soon as the trend's over. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's not a sustainable business. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever it is, like, personally for me, I'm doing a lot of commonplace books right now. Mm-hmm. And I know that they're popping up on the internet all over the place. But, like, I'm not going to, like, go all in and, like, create a commonplace book whatever because I have been doing this for two months. It's a super fun way for me to document all of my stuff right now. But, like, it 
it's a fun thing that I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. And it's a cool thing that everyone is maybe doing on Instagram, but like, does it fit into my five-year business plan? No. Right. And like, if I do that and gain, you know, 5,000 Instagram followers because 5,000 ladies are into the commonplace book trend right now, like, and then they're into, I don't know, like pink and purple elephants in six months, I I don't see myself being into pink and purple elephants, so I'm just going to lose those 5,000 ladies. Or, like, worse, not lose those 5,000 ladies than just have my numbers and engagement go down. And, like, that inauthenticity and that jumping on the bandwagon just for quick cash is... Not your thing. Not what we're talking about is a thing. Right, and that's, that's not my thing. And, like, it's so easy to get caught up in, like, this, oh, I see this one doing that, and I see that one doing that. But remember, those are all icebergs. You see the tip of the iceberg. You don't see the, you know, 18 months or the two years that have gone into, uh, at the top of the show, we talked about um, Elise and Stephanie and all of the work that they put into their businesses and trying out so many different things before they hit on their thing. And then when they hit on their thing, they grew their thing step by step by step by step. Elise didn't start out with like 10 different products. She started out with her get to work book. And now she's grown it into a bunch of different products because she started out with here's the get to work book. Here's the next thing that did good. Here's the next thing that did good. Here's something else. Maybe that didn't work out. So, you know, let's try something else. It's not like, oh, well, this is really cool. So let me jump on this and start a whole huge business that I you know, two months ago, didn't even know what this concept was. That's, that's not your thing. Right. And I think about that when I think about my class with big picture too, like that class, again, it's called memory keeping in the happy planner, because like I've said in many episodes, that's been my thing, right? I've kind of harnessed that craft. And I wanted so badly, one of my goals, right? It it must've been my goal, like since 2012, probably since the class that I met you at the workshop with Kelly Perky making that book where I said to myself, I know I could teach a creative class. And I I knew that and I felt capable of that. And I knew that could be one of my things and I could harness it. However, I didn't have from left or right or up or down any idea what I would teach. I just knew that I would be great at teaching a creative class. So once the opportunity with big picture came, once I harnessed this memory planning kind of style and way of documenting, I knew that it would be a successful class because I had, just like you said, all this iceberg of time for it to marinate and practice and trials and finally tapping into this creative execution that I could pitch as a class and have enough to say about it as a class. And so that launched December, 2016. It's still on big picture classes a year later. And if you go on and you click featured, it's like, a hundred percent rate. Like it's like one of their top classes. It's like over a year. I know but I've taken it. It's, it's fantastic. It's, and I don't think it has anything to do with me or whatever. It's because it's the right trend at the right time. And I knew what to say about it at the right time for me. It was the perfect blend of like my secret sauce of stuff at the right time. So that's why it does well. They've been want, they've been reaching out to me saying, Hey, do you have an idea for another class? And I might have a few, but I know that it won't do as well because it's coming out of a motivation of, well, they want another class, not I have another class for them. I totally understand that. Yeah. Um, 
they reached out to me over the summer and were like, hey, do you want to come and teach a class? And I was like, yes, absolutely. And I was trying to think of, you know, well, what is my thing that I can bring to big picture mm -hmm. classes? And I was like, well, I need to teach a mini album class because that's my thing. And I need to have it be all about me. And so uh, I created an all about me mini album class with interactive techniques. And so I spent a lot of time doing my favorite how-to techniques in the book. We created a flip open house pages to create, to document your house story. Some how to create your own patterned paper, how to create your Ew. own journaling cards. This is my thing. You know, your story is important. As I clap my own hands over here, but you <laughs> yeah. hopefully cannot hear. Um, <laughs> you know, your story is important and it's important to tell your story and you're the best person to tell your story. But I didn't want it to just be a, you know, wordy class. I wanted it to be fun and interactive and for students to be able to walk away with a completed mini album about their life. Um, yeah, so that's actually also how I learned to do video. And that was fantastic and wonderful. But um, that's up at Big Picture Classes, and it's called This Is Me, and it's a full mini album class, and it's totally fantastic, and one of my favorite things that I was able to do in uh, 2017, along with all of the other things, which is why I'm not taking on any new projects in 2018. Thanks, Big Picture plan. Classes, for yeah. uh, having both of our classes, and anyone who's listening, you can sign up for a two-week free trial membership over there if you don't have one, and take both of our classes, so you should definitely do that. Yeah. It's a lot of fun there. They have a lot of good resources and like some crafter greats. I want to say like crafter yeah. greats contribute to that website. Yeah. Some really, really good classes over there. Yeah. But so, yeah, so just getting back to our thing, you know, and finding your thing, an extension kind of of this, because we've been talking a lot about our creative things. And I think about my thing as the secret sauce of mine that I can monetize or capitalize off of or what I bring to the table that can help me make a living because as a creative, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's all crafty ass females, but I want my craft to be my life. I learned that a long time ago. I think it was, you know, when I knew when I finally got my craft room, like I said, in my uh, intro story episode and I looked around and saw this creative life, I knew that I didn't want it to be extra. I didn't want it to be this extra world. I wanted it to be the world, the thing that I made money off of, my living. So I've been talking about my thing a lot like that, and I've been in pursuit of what my thing is in terms of that. But sometimes I think, and this is me, you know, popping myself out of like my drive, 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 and, you know, I think like sometimes what if my thing is having children because I feel like I've always known that I've wanted kids and I'm putting off that thing in pursuit of what, cause I feel like, let me find my thing before kids are introduced because I feel like I, my kids will take all my time and then I will never have time to find my thing. But what if my kids are intertwined in my thing and I just don't know it? or won't find it out because I'm putting it off. But at the same time, I'm, I think I almost answered my own question in this episode because you kind of have to let things marinate and when it's the right time, it'll kind of prove itself. So I feel like in talking with you and just talking it out, that answered the question I wrote down in preparation for this episode. 
but it's still on my mind. It's still a bit of a fear where I feel like, you know, in my intro episode too, I talked about counseling, um, at a camp in the summer and how that was one of the best experiences. I did it for two summers in a row and it was the two best summers I almost ever had just being with these children and acting mother for a day that I almost knew like that's part of my thing is to like, Mm -hmm. just be a great mom. So am I not living up to the potential of my creative thing? Because that thing is unfulfilled, a little fear. (laughs) That's deep. Yeah. (laughs) I get there, girl. That's how my brain works. No. Yeah. That's a lot. No, that's really good though. That's a lot to think about and that's really good. And that's, it's just something that's sitting there, you know, and the older I get, the more it, the seat kind of scoops up. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I totally feel that. I totally get that. So we live, we moved here to, to Michigan in 2014, the summer of 2014. And I was super nervous because Jeff's in a five-year program. So, um, and I've only ever lived in New Jersey and moving out to the middle of Michigan, the Midwest I was terrified because I had only ever been to like Wisconsin or like big city Chicago. Um, and that was all I knew about the Midwest. And I did not think that I was going to like it here at all. And so I was just going to be like, okay, five years and then we'll move, you know, back to normal place, like either of the coasts where that would be fine. And that's where we'll, you know, set up, raise kids, whatever. Um, but we moved here and I don't see us leaving. Mm -hmm. I don't want to leave at all, period. Because like, again, we want to have kids and we would like to send our kids to public school. And the public schools here are very, 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 very good. And so the cost of living here and the cost of homes here, plus the level of public schools far, far, far outweighs what it would be if we moved to the coasts. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're coming up, this is the middle of the fourth year of Jeff's program. And we're now, you know, trying to make our life, life decisions and do what we can to stay here so that, you know, we can have kids and raise them here in Michigan, mm-hmm. which is, it's an interesting thing. Cause then I'll have kids that grew up here in Michigan and not mm-hmm. where I grew up. Right. But we'll, we'll send them back to their grandparents <laughs> so that they can have we'll let pizza. them taste pizza where it matters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Exactly. I knew it was coming. Um, yes. But like, yeah, no, that's, that's so in the mix. And so I'm feeling the same thing. It's like, I want to get my stuff done before, this happens. And then almost everyone I talk to says, that's no way to live your life. And you'll be ready when it happens and you'll never be ready. And I get all that. But if you've heard my story, I really feel there's no way a kid being introduced right now (laughs) is ever going to be the right thing. So I do feel like I kind of answered my own question, but I would, I would love this of, of all the episodes we've done. This is the topic right here that I would love to hear feedback on from all you crafty ass females that that are listening. Like this, I might go on a limb here and say, this might be my favorite episode so far. (laughs) 
I don't know. They're all kind of my favorite. But no, I would love to hear from other people, maybe even moms. Like, yeah, just kind of what your experience is with that feeling of your thing and finding your thing before you have kids or now that you've had kids. Yeah, I would yeah, love. Yeah, especially if you had kids young or if you had kids like when you were older. We want to know all about it. Yeah, Tell us no, your I'm... whole experiences. And those of you who have been finding your thing, those of you who found your thing when you were young, those of you who found a new thing, mm-hmm. we want to know all about this. Yes. Um, so I want to link to something in the show notes. So I'm going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Go for it. So another one of my things, and it has to do with stories, is that I love the NFL and football. Um, <laughs> You're going to have to talk Sundays, to me like a little kid because I know nothing about football. Go. That's totally fine. On Sundays <laughs> during football season, we don't go anywhere. It's similar to like church for us in like a very serious way. Like Jeff is also very miss... into it. Yes. Okay. Jeff and I, it's, it is like, it's our family day. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the thing we do together. That's awesome. And we stay home and like we cook Sunday dinner and it's ritual. Like if you want to come, yeah, it is. And if you want to come over for football Sunday, anyone is invited <laughs> to come over for football Sunday. But like you have to know that we do football Sunday. Um, and it's the thing we've been doing since we've been together. Um, I've always watched football with my dad. Um, my cousins are very uh, much football people. They have tickets, giant season tickets, which are insanely hard to get. I've been on the Giants season ticket waiting list since mm-hmm. I turned 18. I still do not have Giants season tickets. Um, yes. If I get them, I will buy them, by the way, and then I will resell them. Uh, but, okay, so football is incredibly important to me. Um, we can have chats about all the things, about how all of its problems, but whatever. <laughs> there is a person. So we So on Sundays, we watch this thing called NFL Red Zone. It shows you all of the games. And they are curated for you by a single individual. His name is Andrew Siciliano. He is the most endearing individual. He has very, um, his ears are a little bit big. (laughs) And it's super cute. He's so cute. And so Andrew sits behind this desk for seven and a half hours. And as every single game is going on, all of the games, um, all of the NFL games are played at either one o'clock Eastern four o'clock Eastern, and then there's a Sunday night game and a Monday night game. Okay. So for the one o'clock Eastern game and the four o'clock Eastern games, there are, they're happening all over the place. And there's usually, you know, about eight, eight games going on at one o'clock and four or five games going on at four o'clock. And so Andrew sits in this big desk behind a studio in LA and he curates all of these games and he'll bounce you from one game to the other game to the other game to the other game. And he tells you the storylines of what's going on. He narrates everything that's going on. He tells you, like, the drama that's going on. It's, like, literally the greatest reality television show <laughs> on earth. And that's why I love it. It's so, I mean, it's, it's reality TV for me. Mm-hmm. And the drama is so high. It's, like, it has real-world consequences. And he is... He is amazing. And so I want to talk about him a little bit. He he has found his thing. Mm-hmm. This is his thing. Football and the NFL is his thing. And so last Sunday when I woke up, there was an amazing article from the New York Post, which is what I'm going to link to in the show notes, about him and how he became this person who could be mm-hmm. on live television every single Sunday for seven hours talking about 
um, 14 different live NFL broadcasts at the exact same time with, you know, 52 uh, different players on each team and knowing exactly what's happening in every single game with, and he knows about the players' personal lives. He's following along on Twitter. And the best part to me about this story is that his name is Andrew, right? Andrew. His little Andrew didn't grow up and his mom going, son, you could one day be on TV on Sunday except for seven hours and talk about these. Like, like he never could have predicted that that was going to be his thing. No, that is not. And like, that is not when, right. When Andrew was a child, this was not a thing. This (laughs) did not exist. Right. I love it. And so like, he did go to Syracuse for broadcasting school and he did want to be like a sports broadcaster person. And like, he did know growing up that he loved football and so, like, growing, he, being part of, being part of this, this whole time was part of his thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, everything led him to this thing. Mm-hmm. But, like, this wasn't a thing. And so, like, this, um, the, the New York Post did a whole great, wonderful, like, story on him and how football became I'm ready to read it. his thing. And so I'm super excited to add that in there. Oh, um, that's so good. Right? And, and. Like, don't, if you don't know what your thing is, just, it's okay. It's okay. And I think it goes back to a little what I said about, like, even if you don't feel you have situational things conducive to set you up to figure out your thing, like, that's all a facade because your life is setting you up for that thing. Because I'm sure Andrew thought about that throughout his life. Like, I'm not landing on my thing. I'm not landing on my thing until the time presented itself for his thing to come to fruition. So it's a little mm-hmm. trust your journey cliche kind of point. But I think we've said it a lot better than just trust your journey. But yeah, and I also think too on that note, what I've experienced from some of my things namely the planner community and working in a planner and how that's becoming a trend and almost pretty planner pages are the trend. And that's the thing that people want to harp on because they sense all that comes from that. And also dancing, right? Like I'm a bachata salsa dancer. That's my thing on a whole nother level because like you said, and with maybe you and tomatoes, we don't ever look to capitalize on that part of us, but yet they are both significantly our thing. They fall into the hobby category and whatnot. But in both instances in my life, in the planner community and in dancing, I have seen 99% of the time, not like just a little bit, 99% of the time, people wanting to quit or give up or chalk it up to ugh or get exasperated if they don't pick up the steps right away or if their planner page doesn't look as good as so-and-so's right away. And it's, it's unbelievable how quickly people are ready to write themselves off or write this thing off as it's not my thing. Forget it. Forget it, forget it. Like the reason you're in that class of dance to begin with is because it interested you. The reason you're at the happy planner booth to begin with is because you saw it online and it interested you and you think it may be your thing. It doesn't happen overnight. Like Andrew's story is a great example because I'm sure there was times when he's like, I should quit, but I love football too much. There's no way I could quit. Like, that's how I think you end up stumbling on your thing too. And sometimes you need to do stuff that's just like completely different. Mm -hmm. Like your brain has like different sections that do different Mm -hmm. things. And sometimes you need to give that section a break. Um, Like we're going to talk next week about 
creative block and like what to do when you have creative block. I'm going to tell you right now, one of the things I do is I go and I play video games because that is a completely separate area of my brain. Right. And when I go and play video games and do that, it shuts off all the creative areas. And then when I go back to my creative stuff, I'm like, oh my God, mm-hmm. I do know how to scrap up. <laughs> right. You can't, it is almost too much of a good thing is a bad, turns a bad thing. Right. What do they say? Absolutely. You do need a break from even the things you love. And you need fresh eyes. You need fresh eyes sometimes. Yeah. And these other things that you also love, but are just, like you said, using different areas of your brain are more physical when you're normally more mental or vice Mm -hmm. versa or something. Yes. So good. So good. Okay. This is my favorite episode. (laughs) I'm going out there and saying it. I'm I'm obsessed with this episode. Awesome. Yeah. So again, we want to hear from you guys on your topic of what is your thing? Do you feel like you have a thing? Are you stuck in finding your thing? I'd love if you can comment that whole part about, you know, the kids being factored in, especially as females figuring out our thing. That's a big interruption, you know? So it's just, I'm dying to hear feedback on this episode. Yeah, totally. Leave a comment on the blog post at craftyassfemale.com. You can leave a comment on either of our Instagram posts Please, if you leave an Instagram post yourself, we would love to see that. You can tag either of us, hashtag craftyassfemale, and you can catch up on all of the latest episodes at craftyassfemale.com. Please go to iTunes and subscribe or subscribe in your favorite podcast listening app. And uh, we'll catch you next week with our new episode on Monday morning. Have an awesome week, and we will talk to you soon. Love you so much. Bye.